0: <laughs> no sorry I just had like you know an elderly family member here and they're older than you Dr. Francine shit and, there is one yeah and taking her around New York City in the heat was, was like a 24-7 it was three days of 24-7 so I was not responsive
1: oh yeah I can understand that okay here's Heyman hello we'll make Heyman a modera- moderator moderator
2: and uh,
3: brought Heyman the calling has crowd has as well. something
1: amazing to contribute. What? First of all, a bunch <laughs> of sort of loose ends and um, cleanup items. The community that we have, um, the backup, its it's kind of the backup community and kind of not, because there's a lot of things that it has on Geneva, is growing. People are joining it. And it's having discussions. And I think it's going to be successful and helpful. So as part of my you know, effort to foster community, I started another community. And it's basically supposed to be a backup plan for if something happens with Clubhouse.
4: Calling. Um, I don't
1: say that anything is. But, you know, who the hell knows? So if you would like to join it, and I think you should, because I think it's always interesting to try new things. It's part of my effort to form and keep community by taking the people that I know from Clubhouse and uh, making sure that they never have a chance to lose touch with me. So that is... One sort of uh loose end slash housekeeping item that um that I wanted to talk about, and the other one was that next week we are gonna be in a on a very important topic uh which I bet most of you don't know anything about, which is how to get yourself a self sovereign um Identity, digital identity, meaning an identity that is yours that no one can take away from you. Um, that you, it becomes your email address all over the place, and it's it, it is a way of securing um, your identity and all your intellectual property. And I learned about it on tech news around the world, and it is. These kinds of identity issues are going to be part of Web three, so I thought I'd bring it. I'd bring it to the club, and let uh, let you guys talk to people who really understand it. And I would serve, since I'm basically a non technical person who has been many years serving as a geek to human translator. Um, and when I say many, I mean like forty. Um, that I can um, I can help the engineers who invent all this unbelievable stuff explain to the lay people why they need what this new thing is and how to not um, lose their shirts um, while you know getting involved in them early stage communities that have scammers and rug pullers and stuff like that. And I feel like that's one of my missions here in creating community and with the Karma Club is to provide ways for uh, people to understand things that they ordinarily might not understand. Anyway, so next time we're going to have a room, this room is going to be, about why you need a blockchain digital identity uh, and how to get one. And it is, I admit, somewhat, uh, not controversial, but somewhat um, early stage that, you know, it's not like um, a ticket to ride that you can't deal with, do without now. But if you are trying to be part of the Web3 community, uh, you might, um, you might very well want to learn about this and be in a position to have your identity and, and defend it. And then I have one more piece of housekeeping and, uh, it's, I have, I have, um, found something called this is for people interested in reproductive rights. There is a new DAO raising money for reproductive rights and it's called uh, choicedao.org. And I'll I'll try to Heyman, can you try to find it? Yeah, choicedao. Sure. Yeah, choicedao.org. And it is a DAO, which is a decentralized autonomous organization, which is, in this case, a group of uh, volunteers and activists all dedicated to reproductive rights after uh, the, the reversal of <laughs> Roe. And, and I, um... oh, there you are. Okay. And it's also this on the call. Oh, good. This is what I know about DAOs. There is a DAO that I belong... I mean, I know a lot about them, but you don't need to know um, much more than just this. Um, I have watched the power of DAOs that have human rights um, objectives. And the most exciting of those that I was involved in was... The one called Constitution Dow, and I don't know if you remember it, but it raised something like fifty-five million dollars from people all over, all over the world. (laughs) Heyman, you're awesome, dude! It raised um, it raised fifty-five million dollars in something like ten days to buy a copy of the Constitution that was being auctioned off by Sotheby's. And eventually, at the auction, Constitutional, Constitution Dow um, lost to a private investor uh, who actually was a blockchain investor and um, and could afford to pay pretty much anything. And what Constitution Dow learned from that, or that is that when you are raising money to buy something like... A copy of the Constitution, you need to also figure out how to, um, how to, how to, once, if you win, you know, how you take care of that. How you. Or actually.
2: Or basically, how do you protect a community that wants to bid on something? Because I think they had it, the the whole point of the DAO was also it's very open, right? And uh, the problem was that they only had a maximum amount of how much money they were willing to spend. So the person who won, uh, only one by one dollar, I believe.
1: Because um, they well, knew exactly
2: uh, the maximum uh, ceiling that the Dow was able to bid on that constitution.
1: Right. So, so bummer. But we learned a lot, and they gave us, there were no, uh, there wasn't a scammer at the head of that Dow. We all got our money back or were invited to leave it in for um, another cause if we wanted to. So all kinds of, you know, all kinds of weird things. It taught me a good lesson about a DAO. It, in, um, in many ways, it taught me how we're still split between people who are Web3 and people who are not Web3. By the way, can I ask you guys to help me ping people into the room? I have problems that this room through discovery um, does not – get people to come in at the beginning and they all come in at the end. And then I'm stuck because I want everybody to speak and it's too late to call them up and, you know, help them speak. So if there's anybody that you know on the app who wants to talk about community, this is the last week that we're going to talk about it for a while because I want to talk about digital identity next week and then we'll see after that because I I like to be kind of timely. I am, by the way, always open to suggestions for what this karma club should be. The only stipulation is that it is the karma club. And so it has to create good karma. It cannot be a shit show and it cannot be one of those rooms where 10 people speak at once. Um, it, it is always a civilized environment up until now, it has always been a civilized environment.
2: And to also so, reach as many people as possible and make it easier to be accessible. Uh, this Karma Club is also multicast from Colin, uh, the other app, uh, social media, social audio app as well. Uh, we used to do a simulcast also with uh, multicast along with Twitter spaces, but that's they were having glitches, so we got off it for now. Uh, But so if you have troubles going from Clubhouse, you could also join us from Colin.
1: Yeah, so, okay. so we are now we're now into the meat of the discussion. And for this, I, I want Heyman to kick us off because Heyman has told me we need community. That that is the starting point from which I, you know, I've jumped off into these four or five weeks of discussions because when I saw all the mass shootings that happened and I saw all the unrest in the country, I thought to myself, this is really isolation and loneliness. This is people who do not realize they have something in common. This is people who do not realize that we're all rowing on the same boat and we should be rowing in the same direction, instead of um, in a, you know sometimes opposite directions from one another. And Heyman, if you could tell me, or tell every <laughs> tell everybody, because you already did tell me what happened in Sri Lanka.
3: Oh,
2: um, yeah, no, I think I'm I'm still struggling with the idea of what community means uh, because, um, for instance, I'm I'm a Sri Lankan Tamil from a minority population in Sri Lanka. And for a long time, I've always felt I'm I'm part of the like the Sri Lankan, the whole eth- like the whole country, as I say. Even if even though I now live in Canada after being enduring uh, a civil war there, um, and now observing everything that's happened in the states and Canada and everywhere else, I'm still fighting with the idea of community because I think I get the community from the sense of a social media construct. Uh, about how to build um, sort of your own community for economies or uh, for ideas or to push through things, because it's common interest, right? Uh, But I also worry that whether uh, these communities um, do tend to also um, separate us more. Um, Like, that's my divide right now. So, for instance, in Sri Lanka recently, you know, you probably heard about all the news that was happening down there with the financial crisis, but one thing that you don't I Assume hear
1: about nothing.
2: It... Right, okay, so assume,
1: so... assume nothing. So Sri Lanka
2: is a country south of India, uh, often called the pearl of the Indian Ocean or uh, the tear of the Indian Ocean, just depending on what, uh, which history you prescribe to, and so what it is, Sri Lanka um, had been, um and it still is, is a fairly uh, uh, it's an op- it was an up and coming uh, upper middle class country until um, it got into uh, sort of a civil war slash political um, mess um, and also recently due to all those problems uh, we've also got ourselves into a problem of financial mess where there's been dynastic uh, oligarchical sort of style politics that's been going on for decades and um, so there was no checks and balances in these Basically, the country has been run down. And uh, during the crisis as well, uh, there's been, you've heard of like China, Belt and Road initiatives. That was part of it, but it's not the case. It's been longstanding issues of community communities that were basically pitched pit against each other. So Sri Lanka is a very diverse community. Um, if you've heard of Michael Ondachi he's Sri Lankan. MIA, the singer, is Sri Lankan. Uh, Ondaatje is like a burger, a Dutch background Sri Lankan. So he's yes. uh, he's got background from different backgrounds. Um, MIA is Tamil. There's also Singla. Sinhala is a majority. Tamil's uh, a minority as well. Those are two languages. And then there's religious diversity in Sri Lanka as well. And there's also uh, different groups based on the colonizing uh, groups throughout the history. Sri Lanka has also had a very strong Dutch community that was there as well. Um,
1: so, so- it's kind of like the United States used to be a melting pot.
2: <laughs> it is a melting pot, but what happened was, uh, political groups have used after independence in 1946. Don't get me wrong here. Uh, what happened was the, the, the groups, uh, the political groups, which were mostly based of dynastic folks, uh, have divided the country based along those lines, right? The divisions based on the communities. Um, so that's what, that's what, like, recently, during the financial crisis, what we did see was this merging of all these communities, which was beautiful. So for 100 days, people from all sorts of backgrounds were in unison about uh, the same problem, the same grievances they had, they were all complaining about the same issues, which is the financial stuff. Uh, and you it was surprising to see from a world perspective and also from a local perspective, from the people I spoke, that communities that were technically kept away from each other by political groups and also media, there's a huge problem there because the media basically kept uh, different discourses going on. Uh, they all merged together. And that was thanks to social media and everything else. But soon after, like sort of um, the recent developments in the politics, that commu- those communities were like the merging of the communities was suddenly disrupted again, and they people were put into their separate communities and siloed out. Um, so that's and also I was chatting with uh, Francine earlier was that I what I saw in Sri Lanka as a petri dish where we thought there was hope, right, of communities coming together after decades of you know somewhat hate that was uh, created by. Uh, leadership um, was able to do things together, and hope there was hope of other country improving. And then all of a sudden, that's all dashed.
1: Oh wait, hate created by leadership. Right, that sounds familiar.
2: Exactly. That's what I was trying to bring back to the states as well. Like, uh, like I was, Francine was saying, oh, I'm worried about a certain political group that may be coming to power, a certain person, political person who might be coming into power in the states. And I was saying that no, I mean, I uh, as an ob- external observer. The same stuff that's happening in Sri Lanka, I have fear will happen in the US. Yes, there's this honeymoon period and blah, blah, blah. People can buy up, but I have a funny feeling the forces that be, or the, the people who maintain the politics, uh, will ultimately, uh, win. Same thing in Hong Kong, right? Hong Kong was a period of all this community and like global uprising, but all of a sudden, the, when the powers that be put their foot down, things quickly get closed up. I think states the same thing right now. It's just sort of a gamesmanship. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, and I that's why I fear like us sort of siloing ourselves. That's been always my case on on all these social media apps. Has been that we silo ourselves and we group up together in like minded places, and then we that's sort of comforting for us. It's sort of more of a support group for us.
1: Yeah, but, but it's an echo chamber, and it, is. it makes us not think about how we're like everybody else. I see Barbara unmuting. Yeah. Thank
4: yeah. you, Heyman. Yeah, thanks, Heyman for that. That was a great way of starting off the conversation, and I think we find what we mean by a community, uh, something like community of inclusion, something like that. I'll give you an example. In two, year 2000, in Canada, there was a lot, I don't know if you remember this, Heyman, but government, there was a lot of um, challenge around inclusion, not that it, there isn't still, but certainly we made great progress, and We did this project called 2000 and what it was, was we wanted to reach across Canada and reach 2008 to become inclusive managers, wherever they were in the world. So the government, public, private sector, part of it. And then we went into the indigenous communities and we brought race, ethnicity, government, men and women together for five days, talking about what it would mean to be inclusive, right? And we had all the elders from the, the most amazing experience of creating that diverse views diverse backgrounds, people who had never even spoken to, because they were so different in what they believed in, right, and their lives that they had lived, little each other, you know, and and I don't mean that we should all do Kumba, but just the, the process and the experience of having was inclusive, of everybody. learned so much. And Dr. Francine, you've done that in Clubhouse. You've been in rooms where you've you know, you probably would never even consider enter and go into and really be standing in the shoes of others and learn more and have an even deeper context than what it means to be Black or anywhere else. So I would yes, say- I,
1: mm-hmm. Yes, I have. And yeah. it's, a, it's a, you know, life... Al- it's always life altering when you go outside your comfort zone. And, right. And not, not enough people do that. To understand each other but in order to have a government you know we have to understand each other Mm -hmm. i will use a personal example um i wanted to get out very personal i wanted to get out of the heat in phoenix this summer but of course because covid and because airport snafu's i didn't want to fly so i decided i would do something i've lived in arizona for 50 some odd years but I live in a city, and you know, in a, a fairly cosmopolitan. I live in the fifth biggest city in the country, so you know, I, I'm I'm basically a city girl. So I actually rented an Airbnb in a town called Strawberry, populated north of Phoenix, so cooler, better, you know, altitude, and um, and. And so different. Population 1,000. It is a town in which people all know each other. And I got up here and I saw, because we're in political system, uh, season, I saw <laughs> signs for politicians that I didn't even think were serious. They're, they're not, to my mind, serious people. And the, and, and I saw a lot of, um, red, white, and blue, you know, get rid of socialists, uh, kind of stuff, bunting. And I thought to myself, uh, at first I thought to myself, who are these people? And then I thought to myself, you know, these are not only my neighbors for the next month, but, um, these are the other people in the state that I live in, and if we are all going to be able to live together um, as, you know, the unified community, somewhat unified community of Arizona, which is, you know nothing but a government-sanctioned community, um, I'm going to have to see what about these people. Is something that I can maybe relate to, and you know, and and get to know. And I've spent a month doing that, and it's been extremely interesting because I've 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 learned why uh, people live in small towns rather than big cities. I've learned why. People don't want the government in their bedroom. I've learned why uh, people vote for candidates from uh, small towns. And, you know, like a lot of different things. Oh, okay, I the biggest lesson I learned, I almost left out. The biggest lesson is I've learned why people want guns. I mean, the, these people, meaning me and my neighbors, we get... Everything walking through our front yards at night, elk, javelina, you know, just all kinds of wild animals. And, and the people in my community who raise chickens and, and try to, um, to garden um, and stuff, they need to protect themselves because strawberry doesn't have a police force. And it doesn't have, it, you know, it, it it doesn't have an ambulance. It doesn't have anything, and the nearest hospital is a half hour away. So these these people have banded together be, to be their own community. And the somebody's sorry, Francine. I one. I
2: no, I just curious to know. You mentioned the word unified, right? Does, does that mean unified in everything, or just unified in surviving in the community?
1: Well, I think in a unified and surviving in the community up here, you know, as an 81 year old woman, um, who never laid eyes on an elk before (laughs) and now has several good friends who are elks, um, I can't, you know, it's yes, uh, that's what community means, you know, that if if I were in trouble up here, I could go next door and someone, you know, someone whose um, religion I don't subscribe to and whose politics I don't believe and whose background is unfamiliar would help me. So, and that's huge. That's absolutely huge.
2: So that's a co- definition I wanted to clarify, is because that's a physical community, right? That's a physical community that you're in, and it's a it's a like a like unified physical community that has diverse views. So, how do we reconstruct that in the like in for instance in the digital world, right? Because we're if we are inviting only people we appreciate do we tend to create a gated community?
1: Well, I don't. I mean, anyone can come up, come yep. up on this stage and express their opinion as long as, you know, they. I mean, as long as they do it in a constructive and helpful way. I'm curious, you know, I want to learn from other people. Cheryl, speak to me, honey.
5: On community? Okay, everyone knows I'm from Singapore. So just now, I mean, I always hear the word melting pot, but for your perspective, for American perspective, is melting pot a, a positive word or a negative word?
1: Oh, that is a very interesting question. And I would say that until recently, it has been thought of by most people as a positive word. But now, because of the political polarization we have, it's maybe thought of as a negative word. And, you know, in, in truth, when I grew up, which was, you know, right, uh, during and after World War II, um, what it meant was the Statue of Liberty, you know, giving, give me your tired, your poor, your, Huddled masses learning to breathe free and how, and, and America taking in all the immigrants generated by uh, the Second World War and before that by the First World War and by persecution all over the place. And, and when I was educated and brought up, I thought, oh my God, America is awesome. You know, we're better than everybody. We take in everyone, and you know na- now, of course, I have figured it out. We don't take in everyone. We're we're not a melting pot. You know, we're mm-hmm. we treat people even if we do take them in. We sometimes treat them like shit. So you know, what difference does it make? We're Maybe. racist.
5: We, we call this multiracialism in Singapore. Uh, if that's the case, Singapore is also a melting pot, especially in the initial days before independence. We have immigrants from all over the place. But uh, from independence, our ratio, I mean, it's 1965, right? The, 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 the ratio of our population is around, which we try, try to keep it constant. About 75% Chinese, 15% Malay. Uh, about 7-8% Indian, and the rest are Eurasian and others. So um, I think since the uh, early days of uh, independence, I think our leaders at that time have really decided we want everyone to blend in together, right? So they they uh, they um, so-called intentionally uh, keep this population in this ratio in the sense that we have, you know, 80% of our population live in uh Uh, public housing but in singapore the public housing is actually quite high quality and uh, uh, most people own their own uh, you know uh, house as in public housing for 99 years this whole so uh, they intentionally keep this ratio in every block uh, in every estate reason being they want this mix of people to go to the same school because if you go to the same school you play together you eat together you have fun together and then you will grow up with uh, you know, knowing that although they are from different races but they blending together they can they they can actually uh, be in more harmony. Uh and in if you ask most people in Singapore, they call themselves Singaporean. They don't they don't call themselves still can eat on the same table, just respecting what each other can eat, cannot eat, but we still eat our own things. And nobody complains about that because we are all so used to it to mingle around. So, and most of our interracial, that means our Malay uh, um, so-called folks, they can also speak Mandarin, some Mandarin and some like maybe Indian, uh, Tamil or Hindi. Uh, of course, Chinese also, some, they can also break some. I mean, I mean you, most of you know that we have this a very unique slang called Singlish. Singlish is actually a mix of everything. So <laughs> um, so I think that is a very good thing. So in that sense, it's a kind of a melting pot because everything just blending together. So I actually think in Singapore, we take it as a positive word.
1: But and, uh, but Cheryl, it, and I have heard, uh, first of all, uh, I've been to Singapore and you can see it on the street basically. But I think Singapore is an exceptional case because it has had... Um, a very strong leader as you said there with very intentional you know ideas for you know the past since 1965 but that was probably true of the united states too you know in, in the beginning when the, the founders founding fathers were still around although i will say that the united states was always racist but but you know things hung together better with the original vision, and then as time goes on, you know the, the vision gets deleted or something like that and it, it either needs to be reinvigorated or um, or something so that it's not um you know it, it isn't the way it used to be. I mean I've totally always admired Singapore but but I don't know how um, your original leader is still in charge, right?
5: Um, no we have a ruling party that has been i mean so-called in charge since the beginning of independence until now. The reason is because they also intentionally attract the talents into the in, into the party. So everything they they do is actually very intentional. And to be honest with you, Singaporeans are a bunch of people who are who loves to complain, and uh, you know we 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 actually pick on every single thing. So uh, to to being being leaders in Singapore to lead the country is actually not a very easy task because if things are not done, like. Like I don't say perfect, but convincingly, uh, it is usually you will get a lot of uh, you know people talking about it. So most people don't. They don't. Most of the leaders or the, not, the government authorities, they don't want. They they want people to complain about things, so they'll try their best to to understand things from all angles and think about solutions that will you know uh, of course satisfy most people, not all, of course. But having said that, right? Oh, of course, I, Okay. Does most American think that okay when when okay the reason why i ask this question is because i didn't know uh it's such a big problem until i spent a lot of time in tech news around the world and it's, the reason why I say in Tech News Around the World is also very intentional, because um, you know uh, very soon I have to spend more time in the States, and I don't really have a lot of experience working, uh, so-called working in the States, other than just traveling there for holiday. So I intentionally joined Tech News Around the World because I know it's a bunch of you know very intelligent Americans, and I want to understand how they communicate and how they think. So um, I went there, and I realized through this one and a half years, I learned a lot, because uh you know everybody okay but of course i also see a lot of things that i normally will not be able to see but to my surprise that a lot of people a lot of americans they like to introduce and themselves like i'm black i'm latina i'm white I'm whatever but why don't they just tell people that they're american it's like the identity the american identity
1: um i would like to have um urban- can I, are, are you actively, oh, thank you. <laughs> I I can't speak to. I, and
2: also the context. I think we should just be aware of the context of when these social audio uh, apps came into fruition. They came during a time when that identity was a big issue, right, across the U.S., including uh, Af- African-American or Black Lives Matter, Asian-Americans were attacked during the uh, virus crisis. So, and, and also during the Trump times, uh, we had the whole uh, white supremacy and all those c- discussions going on too. So I just want to give that background. This is a timing wise. That may be a reason why, Cheryl, you may be hearing it a lot more. But I, as a Canadian, I find Americans are pretty much, they, I, I don't see them. I didn't find they're, they're more meritocracy based than anyone in the world. But I may be wrong.
1: Um, Irvin.
3: <laughs> yes. Help talk me out here, here okay. Irvin. <laughs> And Vlad right after that on call inside. Thank you for inviting me up, you know, um, Heyman, I can say that this distinction has been around for quite a while. Yeah. Um, I don't know what is it about us Americans that we, um, before slavery, (laughs) everybody was European and there wasn't a distinction between black and white or color or even, you know, they were either Irish or English or German uh, but but they were all American, Italian uh, at some point. So as as uh, this concept of color came in, that uh, and I'm just going to give a brief overview history brief history here. It's the fact that it's a construct that was introduced because of the indentured servants that came in from Europe and the Africans from Africa were all housed together. And they decided that this this type of servitude wasn't working for them. And there was a rebellion. Bacon was one of the rebellions that really gave the colonials or the plantation owners a, a look at what was going on. So they went to their indentured servants and said, you guys are only here for seven years. What is not really known out of history is that 70% of those people that came over as indentured servant, died under before their seven-year contract was uh, was uh, worked out. So that was 70% of Europeans that came over as a indentured servant died before they got out from under their contracts. But there was uh, this thing that the Plantation Zone told them, you guys aren't here for, for life. You're going to get, you know, you serve your contract, you're free. The Africans... You will They will never be free. And so this color barrier became a thing that you're better than those people. So as we matured and grew as a country, um, there became this distinction between American of European descent and American of African descent. I don't call myself an African-American because for me, the literally word is that I would have to be, part of me have to be from Africa, the other part would have to be from America. I am an American of African descent, and I'm wholeheartedly American, because there's no other home that I know of than America. So, uh, but identity has been a thing that Americans have clung to, and as we get more divided, uh, we tend to cling to it even more so than uh, what, happened in the 60s and in the 70s um that was uh, people say that we were classified as you know we were negroes at some point and then we were afro-americans uh but those were things that we as a race were going through trying to identify who we were in this bigger uh umbrella called america Uh, we've always had to eke out our place um when the Latinos uh, and uh, Mexicans was coming over, you know, this was a part of their, already part of their home, uh, culturally wise. So well, California, they used to own
1: the land. Yeah, California,
3: <laughs> Arizona, uh, Texas. So uh, that, that these distinctions, so the Europeans, I would say, uh, fed into this. And so there's these class distinctions or race distinctions that have come up in our country. I would, I was hoping, <laughs> and I still hope, that at some point we can just be Americans, and we can still celebrate celebrate our cultural di- differences and our racial differences, but we can see ourselves as Americans. And um, I'm still I'm still uh, pulling for that and hoping that we can see uh, the unanimity of who we are as a country and not. Uh, be so burdened with the, uh, the class distinctions as, as a race,
1: Irvin. But, uh, I love you. <laughs> I'm gr- and I am grateful that you came up. Uh, we'll go to Vlad now on the call-in yeah call Vlad
2: inside. on the
6: uh, call-in side,
1: and then to Andrea.
6: Vlad, go ahead. Hello, everyone. Uh, it's interesting. This topic comes up a lot. Believe it or not, uh, his, as a Hispanic of French, indigenous, Spanish descent. What do I call myself then? I got three bloods in me and possibly even Jewish from what I've been told. So I'm part Jewish, I'm part Spanish because of the conquistadors, I'm part French because of those invaders and and I'm indigenous Mexican because of my indigenous Aztec uh, heritage too. So it's all in there. I've been called Hispanic and Latino. I have no problem with that. I know there's Hispanics that have an issue with that. They just wanna be called Mexican. But there's also a problem with just being called Mexican. What kind of Mexican are you? Because we have brown, light-skinned brown, white. We even got black now. We, we, and, and different variations, Russian, Polish, Mexican. They all, they all call themselves Mexicans because they were born there. it wasn't their doing. It was their parents. So... You understand that there's these distinctions, but they identify as Mexican. So yes, I understand I'm Mexican of heritage and ethnicity, but I'm an American-born Mexican. I'm an American citizen by all right. Born, raised all my life here. So I'm American, but I never put down or I never deny my, my Hispanic heritage. So yes, I well, would like to, what... to... Go ahead, go ahead.
1: Well, I didn't mean to really cut you off, but go ahead, I him, just want to say that all of these things are going to be put. They they should be being put to rest by exactly what you were talking about, Vlad. You know, twenty three and Me. When we all analyze our genetics, what are we going to find out? We aren't who we think we are, or, or or were, or or we are who we think we weren't. You know, it's like it's almost. It's almost like a joke if you look at it the way I do, which is
6: all beings are connected,
1: which is why why the Karma Club. But Vlad, I, you are a,
6: a maze-based. Thank you. Uh, Heyman, believe it or not, you know, I think the only problem I have, not with what you're saying, but it's the different groups that are trying to divide us as Americans. Oh,
2: and just, uh, uh, Vlad, just a clarification. So um, my name is Heyman, and I'm co-host of the show with Dr. Francine Hardaway.
6: Oh, hello, Dr. Francine. Sorry about that. Um, I wasn't aware, so my apologies if, I, if there was any confusion. So the, the thing is, what, I, what I've seen is when we started, and I'm going to use the example of the actor Morgan Freeman when he was talking to Don Lemon from CNN. He was basically telling them that he could not use the victim identity card, you know? What the left uses, he goes, that's not our story. Look at where we're at. Uh, Morgan Freeman being a very successful actor, American, I'll just say American, no more black American, but just American, he, he, that's what he told uh, um, Don Lemon, and I'm paraphrasing, so if I add anything, I apologize. He's basically telling them, when the racism will stop when we stop making these distinctions. When we start respecting each other as Americans, period, then all that nonsense will cease. So we have to be careful who we listen to, who's trying to identify, who's trying to divide us, who's making that, whether it's left or right. If it's on the left, call them out. If it's on the right, call them out the same thing. I'm trying not to be partisan, but it's, it's in our culture. We could attack it. And let me give you an example. Um, I, I went to do a course here for like almost two years for electronic technology at, at Pasadena City College because I'm in the Los Angeles area, right? The suburbs of San Gabriel. So what, what happened? They were having graduation in one of the years and they had a special graduation for oh. those people of African descent. Oh, and do you, sorry. Think they really meant, sorry. do you really think they meant African-American? No, just African. Why do they make that distinction? Why can't they just lump up everybody and see everybody equal and let it go? Why yeah. does there have to be a title, LGBTQI, uh, Black African here, Muslim there? All students came here. They learned. They're moving on to university. Let it be. Yeah. They Thanks, Vlad. Keep... So okay.
2: I, I we'll put that point in. And then uh, Andrea was uh, speaking at that time. So definitely then, stay on stage, uh, that, Vlad. Yeah, stay after on stage, that we'll Vlad. Go, but go ahead, uh, Andrea. After
1: that, we'll go to Tara.
0: Um, and so on community, uh, my thoughts are that, um, I, if I just observe my own life, I believe that I have multiple communities, uh, for me, uh, as an individual, it is vital, um, to, frankly, life, um, (laughs) and in experience in life. So being part of a community and being connected is, uh, one of the biggest important, uh, parts of my life. And, um, I have multiple communities based on different types of interests and things that are important to me um, on the, what I would almost say identity or even possibly venturing into identity politics. It was really interesting to hear Cheryl share from Singapore. I've also spent a lot of time there. Um, growing up, I'll give the European, uh, piggybacking off of Irvin, uh, growing up, I was wondering whether this sense of identity is related to um, the generational pecking order, as it were, uh, given how long you've been in the United States. So uh, I'm Italian-Irish, and I do identify as American-Italian-Irish, but I guess these days people call me a global citizen because I've lived half my life out of America and picked up another passport. But when I grew up in the United States, I was born and raised in Boston of Italian-Irish descent, and even with the uh, European um, immigrants. Uh, so we, my dad was first generation, so I'm second generation, and um, I think there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. I have very good Indian friends that are also – first and second generation uh, that have come over and when they come to america there's really a sense of they want to i when it's new and it's a melting pot and it's pretty big uh people kind of want to cling on to and hold on to this is a generalization so it could be wrong but i've met many families that want to desperately hold on to their identities and not have it kind of erased uh while they integrate um, into a new place and erased by capitalism or consumerism or for some folks, Western values. Uh, when I grew up and I'm landing my plane shortly uh, there was, I mean, and during my parents' time, there were like literally street wars between the Italians and the Irish. Um, and I am both. <laughs> and my parents' wedding was, um, you know, a big uh, scandal because neither side wanted them to marry the other. And, um, and, you know, those cultures combined in my fiery temper. Uh, but I'm just saying, so I think that I wonder whether there isn't a generational aspect to some of this. And finally, landing my plane, I do think that we are in a place where it, it, I personally uh, love celebrating other cultures, um, find it fascinating and interesting and. Uh, And I think we are better off in America because of immigration. But I live in the Northeast. I don't live in a border town. I don't experience on a day-to-day basis some of the struggles that people, you know, have with that. Um, And finally, I do think we're in a phase with the challenge that we have in front of us, both with, um, you know, frankly, democracy and environment, uh, that we really do need to find a way to think of ourselves as human and respect our planetary boundaries. But, you know, that may be challenging to do. And finally, in After We Vote, we spent <laughs> a lot of our time talking about cross. cross we t- we talk often and deliberately across
1: difference, political parties, etc. So I invite you all to join us there, too, with Dr. Francine. Thank you. <laughs> I'm laughing at... At Andrea, who had to make three touchdowns before she finally landed that plane. Tara, on to you. Thank you for your patience. I'm loving this whole discussion. I think it was
7: Irvin who brought up, why can't we just be American? And then Andre- Andrea, I love how you... Um, described the generational pecking order i'm indian american so my parents are from india and i was born in the u.s and back, so when i was little growing up in a small town like the kids didn't get it they would ask where are you from a million times because of my skin color but i figured they're kids and then most of the adults um back when you know like 2012 you know Pre the 2016 election and the pandemic and um, all of the division since then, um, people would usually see me as an American. Um, And like, I did find it a little weird, even like kind of offensive, which at the time, like, you know, people would tell me, don't be offended so easily, but. Um, when they'd ask, where are you from? No, where are you really, where are you originally from? No, I'm not originally from India. I'm originally from rural Wisconsin. And like now I'm, re- now um after all this division, it's like, like I had an experience where someone at a Chicago local networking event asked me if I was visiting from India or an immigrant from there. And local, like, Tara, let,
1: so let me let me just recommend to you Wahajat Ali's book I think it's called Go Back Where You Came From he, He's a mm-hmm. Pakistani Yeah, it's a, like It's hilarious
7: Yeah, um, and you know, here I am paying taxes and this woman looks like, okay, like, you know no judgment towards anyone who doesn't work for whatever reason, but like you know, like she looked like someone who was enjoying American life thanks to someone else's di- like you know like I don't like judging people but just you know when someone judges me I'm like who are they to judge me um and I'm just like like um if they tell me I'm denying my heritage no I'm not denying that I'm Indian American like but I'm also American and they're denying my citizenship. You know, not that citizenship matters. Like I have plenty of friends with American values who can't get citizenship. Um, I don't think I'm better than them in any way.
2: So I, I, I'm I one curious they... though. Uh, when you said American values, I have enough friends with American values. Oh yeah. yeah Do yeah. Americans <laughs> know? Are you? Have you got yourself into a pit there or? Can you explain the values? <laughs> to, do Americans oh, yeah,
1: even right. know? Like, I mean,
2: what is an American value? Truth, right. justice. So,
1: oh. <laughs> yeah,
7: I'm just asking
2: as to... a Canadian. Sorry.
7: No, oh, I, well, I get it. They're expressed
2: in uh, the
3: Constitution. Those are our values.
1: Oh, you're not going to start this conversation. Yeah.
3: Let's not have that conversation. I, I answered a question. It was a question
1: asked. It's a fair answer. Yes, it is a fair answer. But uh, it's seven minutes before the end of the room, and it is a—it's such a deep rabbit hole. And I, I want—I hear what you're saying, Kara. Um I want to get to Joshua, and then uh, Rick, and then Norm, and then we'll stop. But we're going to stop at basically twelve o'clock. I warn you
8: all. Um Joshua. Thanks. Uh Tara, did you finish your point or
7: uh no. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna end in a much more PC like you know, I wish we would get beyond these labels and treat everyone as world citizens and individuals and let people choose their own ranking of identities, you know, like, for example, I want to be seen as a person first and a woman second, Um, things like that. And, you know, I want to be seen as the city I want to live in before the city I was born in Um, and just let people express themselves and take their word for it instead of telling them, no,
1: you're this instead. All right, Joshua, thank you for being more polite than I was.
8: Thanks, Dr. Fancy, thanks, Tara, and everyone. Um, yeah, I I just wanted to throw out there, there's a great podcast from the Intentional Communities Fellowship, uh, ic.org. The latest podcast is The State of Intentional Communities. I don't know if people are familiar with what intentional communities means. It's basically uh like a commune or anything in that range, but that term started in the forties and uh there's a lot of great experiments that have happened, a lot of um foolish experiments, but maybe good lessons can still be learned from it. Uh and oh wow, that was amazing. Um and so I and they, I post a link on the
2: call inside as well.
8: Oh cool. Uh thank you. And, and they talk about the, the shortcomings and the lessons and, um, what I, I don't think there can be a last word. I don't know that the title was meant super specifically this way, but I think it's an ongoing conversation. We never, we're going to get to the last word about how to, uh, form or keep community. It's really, um, it's a meta topic. It's a huge topic. It's infinite. And, um, I, I think that the communities movement is sort of realizing the, the intentional communities movement is realizing that it has to be, they talked about, it, it has to be much larger than just its its own movement with its own members. It's really in dialogue with the rest of the world and has to broaden its own horizons. So if it, I think it's an inspiring podcast. I think it's a really big question. And that's what I wanted to add into the conversation. Uh, I think is- more people want to hear offline. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that is very. I might want to come back, and because of uh, Cheryl's, uh, I might want to come back after we talk about digital blockchain identity. Come back to a room on intentional communities and exactly what that means. But for now, Rick. Hello.
9: Yeah. Rick? Thank you. Thank you. And you know, I'm talking about community. Um. The one of the things that I've learned is you can't really change. You can't really change people. You can't, you can, you can. Maybe if you're lucky, you can influence some, some way in a positive way and, you know, positive in many ways is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, You know, so in my community, I try to, Um, even if I really disagree with somebody, uh, I'll try to, um, find something that we have in common to start to humanize it. Because I think a big part of it is dehumanization. Thinking of somebody as not you. Um, and you know, I grew up always, I'm Puerto Rican. My parents were Puerto Rican, but I was born in Chicago. I don't speak Spanish. I didn't grow up in Puerto Rican communities or even Latino communities. I grew up in white communities. I never learned this until my parents were dying, that many people in my early neighborhoods, my elementary school, my junior high Many families in our neighborhoods would not let their kids play with me because I was Puerto Rican. I didn't really know that. I didn't, you know, not growing up in New York, I didn't know what the word spick was. And I, you know, I had the nickname Spick and Span. I was blissfully unaware that I was being profiled as different um, until I started growing up. And then I started seeing some of these prejudices. And so I always considered myself an American, but I was told to go back to where I come from or that I wasn't a real American. And so, you know, I don't know how we get, how we solve that other than to show people that we really are not that different um, it's sad that, that that has to be put on the people that are oppressed to be able to prove themselves to people who aren't oppressed or who aren't considered different. Um, you know, that's a it's a horrible thing, but I don't know if that can be changed. The best we can do is just to show that we are you know, I, I hear it from women all the time. You know, I have to work twice as hard to get to the same thing. I hear it from from black women. We have to work five times as hard. You know, uh, and, yeah. And it's it's uh you just have to you just have to do your best to number one try to understand the other person because I really believe that most of Prejudice is ignorance. Most of the lack of community is ignorance in, in because you haven't really taken the time to experience something or to raise your curiosity. And if we can help each other be more curious about each other, then I think that we can learn from each other and understand each other and find out hey i'm not latin latino or hispanic or white or american i'm human and that's that's really what the goal is but we have a very long way to go to get there and it'll it 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 starts by looking inside of ourselves and recognizing our own histories and our own past and how we grew up. And uh, yeah, a great conversation as usual, great room. Thank you. Norm. Okay,
1: before I before I have you speak, Norm, I have uh, breaking news of a sort. Uh, just heard from our, our uh, expert from next week's room who is gonna tell us about digital identity and uh, Cheryl, he has also asked that the room be earlier. Um, is ten o'clock good for you?
2: That's ten o'clock uh, Mountain Time.
5: PST, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Pacific time. No, no, no,
1: specific, too... yes. Oh, Pacific. Yes, so, Pacific. So, so
5: that yeah, that will follow tech news around the world, right? Yeah, that will be perfect. Yeah.
1: Uh, okay. I'll make
5: sure. So- I'll make sure we extend that room until ten, uh, before ten a.m. And then we just jump over to the next. And
2: hour. I'll also post it on the call okay. side and uh, get Twitter Spaces also warmed up.
5: And I'll
1: change uh, Karma Club for next week only to 10 a.m. so that we can have this very exciting uh, discussion that's completely the opposite of the one we're having on community because this Uh, one's going to be on digital identity.
2: Well, Norm. Yeah, sorry, Norm, go ahead. And also there's one observation you guys would love to hear about at the end. Sorry.
1: Norm, take us home. Alrighty, then.
6: Well, I love you guys. I love what I heard. I love what Rick said. Um, it reminds me of something that uh, Dave Chappelle said uh, when he was talking about his uh, trans woman friend. She said, uh, I don't need you to understand what I'm going through or even who I am. I just need you to accept it. I'm having a human experience and, uh, yeah, that's a good, um, North star for me as well. Um, you know, I could talk about my identity as a Jew and, uh, what it means. It's complicated. And I don't want to go on and on about it now, but maybe sometime we'll explore it. But it is, and I won't let
1: you. But we should explore those kinds of identities. But you know For how sure. I feel about yeah. you know how I feel about these rooms ending and on time Fancy, because people have though, lives.
2: One thing, you yes. you love to hear is the fact that I. You know how I look at all the bios on both all platforms, right? Of all the people who speak, and the funny thing is, if you guys don't know the labels of each other, you have these. Great conversations. That's what I've always observed, right? If you read each other's bios, I think you'll avoid each other. Uh, because some of the people are actually very open about their political leanings, right? And I have a funny feeling that some people on Clubhouse or some people on call-in or Twitter would not ever engage if that's the case. Just an observation.
1: And that's an important way to end the room. Uh, except I always love it. I always end it with, I love you all for showing up and uh, allowing me to learn at your expense <laughs> and, and for bringing forth your own experience and sharing it with me. And I will see you next week at 10 o'clock.
2: Take care all. Be safe. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. 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 Thanks for joining from Clubhouse call-in as well in the future in Twitter spaces as well. Take care. Bye.